What I want to do with my life is be brave. So if I'm constantly afraid of failure and I'm constantly letting that voice of the fear of failure, which is the voice of perfectionism, outweigh the, the part of me that wants to share whatever humble gifts I have to offer in the world, then, then it's a lose-lose. It's a lose for me and it's a lose for the world. And I'm not saying I'm special. I'm saying we're all special. And I, I want to remind people of their goodness and their worthiness and their wholeness and also how much they have to give the world. From Women's Health Australia, this is Uninterrupted, a podcast where we share candid chats on all aspects of well-being so that you can live a healthier, more empowered life. I'm Editor-in-Chief Lisa Gebulagin. I don't know about you, but the last few years of dealing with COVID and lockdowns and the climate crisis and political instability and rising interest rates, it's so easy to lose hope. But a study from Harvard University of nearly 13,000 people in their 60s shows that hope might be exactly what we all need. The researchers discovered that those who had more hope throughout their lives had better physical health, fewer chronic health problems, less depression and less anxiety, and overall, a longer life. That's why on today's episode, we've brought back meditation teacher Caitlin Cady onto the show to help us rediscover that hope and talk about her new book, aptly titled The Hope Dealer. In this chat, we cover topics like failure, burnout and disappointments, and Caitlin shares how a little bit of hope or inspiration can be the fuel to help you make much needed changes. Thank you so much, Caitlin, for joining us today. Congrats on your second book. Thank you so much, Lisa. It's so nice to be back with you and yeah, really excited to, to have another great chat. Now, you start your book with a massive statement that you believe inspiration has a power to change us. Now, when did you discover this for yourself? Oh, what a beautiful question. You know, I think that intuitively we all have that knowing in us. And I think that maybe when I became aware of it, it was actually as a really young child. So my dad used to share this quote with me over and over and over again as a kid. And it was from T.H. White's The Future King. And in the book, the wizard Merlin, the young man who had become King Arthur, and he says to, Merlin says to the young Arthur, the best thing for being sad is to learn something. That's the only thing that never fails. So any time that I was like in a slump at all as a kid, my dad would pull out that quote. And I think it's one of those things that you kind of roll your eyes at when you hear it so often as a kid. But for me, I think that really did inform me with this idea of you know, reaching for inspiration because when we're learning something that is filling us with sort of opening our imagination to new possibilities. And so I think that any time that I have felt stuck or sad or out of sorts, reaching for some kind of new possibility or new sense of inspiration is the go-to sort of resource. I think that probably is where it began. And I think being a naturally curious person that has just continued throughout my life. And, you know, that ability to always stay curious as life's challenges come up, I think helps us build a sense of resilience. And how nice is it that this is the message that you were constantly hearing from your dad growing up? It just made me think like the messages I got from my dad, uh, don't have enough money. You can't do this. He's very fearful, but I understand because of how he grew up, yeah. but he was just also always so cautious. But yeah, imagine 
growing up with that lovely messaging every day. Yeah, my dad was a, he was a special character in that way and he was a teacher. So I think that he was always in that role of teacher and valuing learning and exploring and being curious. So it certainly shaped my worldview and, you know, continues to shape my worldview. So, yeah, you know, I think that you know, inspiration really does, it's the thing that sort of sparks our imaginations and it's that sense of possibility that I think can really motivate us to create change within ourselves and within the world around us. And, you know, we can think of it as like hashtag inspo where it's all about, you know, six packs and how we look or diets or things like that or, or, or even like acquiring, you know, material things. But really, I think that's just sort of a, you know, it's sort of like the superficial layer of what inspo really is and what inspiration really is, is something much deeper that helps us to reconnect with a sense of hope in the world. And I think that hope inspires us, but also invites us to trust. And I think that those two things, trust and a sense of hope are so important now more than ever, where, you know, I think so many of us, like you mentioned your dad being a fearful person, I think that the last few years have really brought out a lot of fear in many of us. And so it's a really important time to reconnect with with a sense of inspiration and hope and, you know, positivity and, and trust, Re remembering to trust in ourselves and to trust in life. Now, even though you learned this as a kid, I feel like with all life lessons, you have to continue learning them along the way. When was the last time for you that you had to look for that inspiration to make that big change? Oh, well, I mean, every day, you know, I think, <laughs> I think every day, but I think even this book coming out is such a, such a perfect example of why I wrote it. You know, I really, it's a collection of 101 sort of inspiring messages for you to use almost as like an oracle deck so that you can kind of flip open to a page and get a get a message for your day or if you have a question or something you're kind of rubbing up against you can open the book with that question in your heart and you know look for a message that might speak to you and guide you and I think that it's so important to have that ritual of reconnecting with inspiration because the reality is if you are trying to live to your full potential in whatever whatever that means to you, it is a it's an exercise in resilience and it's a practice of self-forgiveness and wrestling with self-doubt and choosing courage over and over again. And so when I think about, you know, how, how recently have I had to sort of grapple with this, it's like it is a daily, it's a practice, right? It's a practice. And even when you think that you've reached some kind of new, uh, you've, you've attained a goal in your life or you've, you've shed a layer of something that you've wanted to shed, it's always, there's always another layer. There's always another goal. There's always, you know, a, the next version of yourself that you want to step into. So rather than thinking of it as a, you know, destination, you know, this idea of our full potential as a destination, I think of it as just an ongoing practice. And that's why I think it's so important to have tools and daily rituals that can support us in that practice of becoming more and more ourselves. Well, I did want to ask you about that because like you, you say, your book is a, a tool for daily rituals. But firstly, can we talk about the importance of having daily rituals. And I think a lot of people would listening would be like a ritual, right? Like that sounds so, I don't know, airy fairy, etc. But I think we unconsciously have rituals 
daily rituals, whether that's like waking up and picking up your phone and looking at social media first thing. It's a ritual that you're unconscious of. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk about the benefits of consciously creating rituals. No, it's just one of my favorite topics. You know, I think this idea, to your point, it's not this sort of morning ritual isn't something, it's not this sort of like secret trick or a magical fix or like a hack even. It's just that if you want to live a life that is infused with more meaning and more purpose and more positivity, then starting your day intentionally is just the thing to do. It just makes good sense, right? Because morning is naturally just a time that's imbued with possibility. It's this fresh start that we have every every single morning, every single day. And if you are beginning your day with an unintentional ritual, like you mentioned, where we're you know maybe rolling over and pawing around for our phones, what happens is we get sort of swept up in that stress du jour, I call it. You know, it's like the whatever the stress of the day is. And we're either looking at our inbox and getting totally overwhelmed or having different emotions sort of triggered or we're looking at social media and comparing ourselves or getting just like lost in a lost in a rabbit hole or looking at news. You know, none of those things are actually helpful in terms of setting ourselves up with a positive mindset. And I think we can all sort of reflect on when is the last time that you picked up your phone first thing in the morning and and then felt really good afterwards? Like never. Best case scenario is that you just like wasted an hour. Worst case scenario is that it triggered you into some kind of a negative funk, right? So I think that when, when you have one of those unintentional daily morning rituals, you know, you don't really give yourself sort of an opportunity to set yourself up consciously. And so... When we then consciously shift into, this is how I'm intentionally starting my day, you're really starting your day with more purpose. And I think that this idea of a ritual and not a routine is just that, you know, routines for most of us, like we have enough boxes to tick, right? So it's this idea of like feeding the dog or paying bills or taking the trash to the, to the curb on the right day. Those are routines and there's value in routines, certainly, but it's not something that's infused with, with sort of inspiration or positivity. So I, I love, you know, Gretchen Rubin, who's like a habit and happiness expert says that a routine is a string of habits and a ritual is a habit charged with transcendent meaning. So for me, when I think about that menu of options, like I'll take the transcendence. Thanks. Right. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. (laughs) I'm, I'm interested in that. And so when you then take a ritual, it's elevating a routine into something that's much more meaningful and much more powerful. And it's this opportunity to really reflect and reassess and realign and to lift the veil between ourselves and the sacred, you know, whatever that means to you. Everyone has a different sort of perspective on what that is, but it gives us the opportunity to, you know, not just start our days with choosing our vibe, but also you know, reflecting on the day that came before and giving us a, reconnecting us with a sense of our own intuition and our own, the voice of our highest self. And that way we can move forward with a deeper sense of self-trust, which I think is super important. So can you give me an example of a morning ritual and then also how your book can be incorporated into this morning ritual? 
morning is my favorite time of day. So like we could record 10 episodes on all of the different options on how to structure a morning ritual. But I'm going to share with you what I think are the three most important things. Cause it's like, we could have a whole show on just like what beverages I would want to include in my morning ritual. <laughs> but three pillars that I think are really important. One is stillness and silence. So Obviously, I'm a big fan of meditation, and I think meditation is such a powerful way to calm the nervous system, settle the mind, and really tune into that voice of, of your highest self. And so if you're new to meditation, you can start with five minutes a day. Literally, that is enough to have a positive impact, and you don't need to go it alone. So guided meditations are a really wonderful way to learn to meditate or to learn new techniques and expand your practice if you're already a, re a regular meditator. So I think this idea that you need to sit down and be alone watching your breath or watching your thoughts is not a very empowering way to begin. So reaching for guided meditations is a great way to sort of start weaving in that stillness and silence. Just quickly on that note, yeah. for the last few years now, your seven minute magic morning meditation is still one of my favorite ways to start the day. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. That makes my day to know that. Thank <laughs> you, Lisa. That's so great. Yeah, it is. That's a great one for people to try because it really is. It's so accessible. It's seven minutes and it kind of ticks all the boxes, right? You get your intention setting, you get your little gratitude ritual and you walk away feeling like you've done something to sort of set the tone for your day. But then you also end it by reminding everyone that every moment is like a new beginning, a new chance to start again. And I love that part. I know it's such an important perspective in life in general is to remember that, again, just like I was saying earlier, it's like it's all a practice, right? And that's part of what we're learning in meditation is like to begin again over and over and over again and to always you know it's that act of sort of self-forgiveness that's actually really empowering and gives us a sense of resilience that lets us keep trying and keep evolving yeah thank you so thank you for that um, little shout out so the second pillar would be reflection so taking the time to just journal each morning and this doesn't need to be a whole production so you could just simply free write for three minutes or three pages if you had the time is a really powerful way to sort of clear the mental clutter process the past and then get clear about the future and so the important thing to remember if you want to give that a go is that there are no rules and no one is going to read what you've written. So it doesn't need to make sense. So I think many of us, especially those of us who are, you know, working in the world, we spend a lot of time writing, whether it's emails and we're very careful about the way things are going to be perceived and the tone and all of that. And this is such a liberating practice because it's just an invitation to be stream of consciousness and um, to pour whatever is inside onto the page. So I think that, you know, my inspiration for that is something I've done since I was a teenager. And my inspiration for that is from the book, The Artist's Way, and it's, she calls it morning pages. So that's a fabulous thing, right? It just gives you that chance to take stock and also sort of do a brain dump, really. And then while you're doing that, if you want to write down an intention or an affirmation for the day to just give yourself a sense of direction and clarity and purpose, I think that's fabulous right? So that's number two. So we have stillness and silence, which is basically meditation. And then we have reflection. And then the third pillar would be inspiration. 
So as I mentioned, I think you know inspiration is such an important thing to integrate because it does sort of stir the creative forces within us and spur us into action and that can change our lives. So when we want to see things differently or open our imaginations to different possibilities, you know, starting our day by reading something inspiring, whether it's a poem or a prayer or a short piece of, of prose, is just a wonderful ending to the morning ritual that will really infuse your day with a sense of meaning and purpose and positivity. And so that is how I envision the, the Hope Dealer being used is, you know, if you have a morning ritual or any ritual at all, you don't have to use it this way, but it can be, yeah, a tool for connecting with a sense of inspiration, receiving a little bit of, of guidance for your day. And, you know, hopefully it encourages you to show up, you know, with, with more courage. That's really like the themes that I cover in the book are really about um, living to our fullest potential and, you know, reconnecting with our highest selves. And for me, that really means like, you know, hitting mute on self-doubt, overcoming perfectionism and living with more courage and more compassion and sharing your gifts with the world. And from our previous chat um, a few years ago, these are a lot of themes that you dealt with yourself, didn't you? Oh, definitely. You know, for, for people who, you know, who haven't maybe listened to our, our first conversation, you know, I battled with an eating disorder and depression and anxiety and a paralyzing case of perfectionism. And meditation was really such a critical piece in, in healing from that and in healing from chronic illness. So I also had a, a 10 year battle with uh, Ly chronic Lyme disease, which is a disease from a tick, which I think is becoming more well known in, in Australia now. But, you know, the, the themes of what I write about, for me, writing is a form of alchemy. So it's really this opportunity to process and digest my life experiences and then transform them into something that is both hopefully beautiful and useful to others. So it's this, you know, this why I write is to learn about life, to find meaning in life, and then to try and be generous with what I've learned and in the hopes that it might make a difference in someone else's journey. What you said there about having that mix of being beautiful and useful, I think you get that really right in your book because I feel like there are some books that just have inspirational quotes, which are lovely, but you then go deep into what those quotes mean. And when we talk about that step from inspiration to then creating action, you kind of help guide people towards that way. Now, why, why was that important to you to make sure that you also incorporated that in your book? Oh, this is why I love talking with you. You just ask the most beautiful questions. And <laughs> thank you, because like I, I'm, every time I, we chat, I'm like, you really get it. You really get me. Um, you know, I just think like that. You just nailed it. It's like I, I'm interested in offering, you know, the positive perspectives and the inspiration that I think we, we all need to hear. But I think it's essential to couple it with something practical, because if I just throw out an inspiring quote, but give you like no clues or no breadcrumb trail of like how to actually embody that or invite that into your life, then I don't think I've really been helpful. So, you know, you know, with heavily meditated, it was the same where I wanted to, you know, I wanted to talk about sort of the, the principles of meditation, but I also wanted to make it really easy to try and integrate into your daily life. And the Hope Dealer, there is 
you know, I try to give example, real life examples, and I try to give a few, you know, tools in terms of lists or little things that you can try out, prompts and questions that you can ask yourself. And then I've also created a suite of guided practices that you can access, you'll be able to access in the app. And those are all practices that are inspired by the themes in the book. So for example, there is a you know, journaling practice for gratitude. So you, it's a combination of journaling and meditation and leads you through a gratitude ritual. There's another one that's uh, journaling and meditation practice for clearing out the inner clutter, because I think a lot of us need to sort of like do an, an internal spring clean regularly. Yeah. And just be able to sort of intentionally go, okay, what is, what is floating around in my inner environment that I need to let go of? Um, and then also things like rest practices. So yoga nidra, which I think is just absolutely essential in terms of self-care and, and giving, giving ourselves permission to rest is another thing that I'm really big on. And then there's also other guided meditations for overcoming self-doubt and you know, reconnecting with a sense of, um, of belonging and possibility within ourselves. So I'm really glad you brought that up because that is something that I think is so important is I want to give people a complete toolkit. So not just the inspiring message, but something that you can then use to take that message and bring it into your life. Yeah, because when you were talking earlier about how inspiration for you prompts you to change, it made me think that for a lot of people, it's easy to just keep digesting all the inspirational quotes, etc. But and that feeling like that might be enough because you're too scared to actually make that change. And it's kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I am, I am doing something. I'm reading all this great material and then just kind of staying stuck in that rather than being like, okay let's do this. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I, and I think that, you know, I really lean into the tradition that I study in is the Himalayan, the Himalayan tradition. And those practices that I share are largely drawn from that tradition. And one of the reasons that I'm so attracted to it is because it offers ways to alchemize our experiences and to create real and lasting change within ourselves. And so this, you know, this idea that, you can read a, a self-help book and think yourself different. I think, I, I don't know how useful that is. I think most of us need some kind of practical, tangible tool that we can bring into our lives. And so, I, yeah, I totally agree. It's like we can, we can get stuck, you know, by, by thinking, oh, I'm just reading this book and, and that's going to create change. But it really is the action that we take in our lives that does create change. And so inspiration is, is part of it. But we need to bring in the, the tools for transformation as well. And that's, you know, that's why I'm so passionate about, about sharing those tools. Well, one of the gems that you share in your book, which I feel will help propel people to make those changes, is the idea of treating life like an experiment. Because it kind of takes a seriousness out of trying new things or making changes because there's no fear of failure in that way. If it's, if it's an experiment, if it doesn't work out, hey, that's cool. It doesn't have that be all or end all factor to it. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that, you know, it's bringing that, that playfulness back to life where, you know, we're so obsessed with not failing. And really that's something, you know, I talk about a lot in the book is like, let's reframe failure and, and think about it differently because there's a variety of different ways that we can think about it that are far more empowering than seeing it as just what the word says, failure. You know, I think it can be many things. It can be when we think about life as an experiment, it's like 
then nothing is a failure and everything is just a learning, right? It's just a sort of like, oh, okay, now I know that and I will take that on board for the next time I run this experiment. But you know, also failure can be, I think, good fortune in disguise is, is one way I like to put it, where you know, sometimes what seems like failure is actually just redirecting us to a path that is you know, more in line with our highest good. And I choose to see things that way because it, for two reasons. One, I just think that any time that we're framing things as either a success or failure, it's so reductive and binary. And I just don't think that's really the way the world is. Like everything is a success and everything is a failure at the same time, right? But also like what, what I want to do with my life is be brave. So if I'm constantly afraid of failure and I'm constantly letting that voice of the fear of failure, which is the voice of perfectionism, outweigh the, the part of me that wants to share whatever humble gifts I have to offer in the world, then, then it's a lose-lose. It's a lose for me and it's a lose for the world. And I'm not saying I'm special. I'm saying we're all special. And I, you know, I want to remind people that they're not alone. And I want to remind people of their goodness and their worthiness and their wholeness and also how much they have to give the world. Because I really believe that we all have gifts to share. And the more people who are living from that place of courage, the more that the world changes for the better. When I read, I think it was a few of those points on the same kind of idea of like not being afraid to share who you are with the world. It just like got me deep. (laughs) Thank you, lady. Yeah. Well, I think it's, and I think it's important to say like, This doesn't mean that you're going to like wake up tomorrow and like read a passage and then be like, oh my God, like my perfectionism has just magically disappeared and I no longer feel, feel self-doubt. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying feel the self-doubt and say, no, thank you. That you, you know, you're not going to run my shit today. (laughs) I'm, you know, like that voice will always be there, right? Resistance is part of life and it is part of the human experience and what I often say is you know the resistance tells you that it's keeping you safe but it's really keeping you small so when you see that resistance show up in the form of self-doubt you know you can think about it as like oh it's actually not a stop sign it's a great sign and it's telling me that I'm onto something and the more of you that you are willing to share, the more you're willing to break through that resistance and that voice of self-doubt, you know, you inspire others. You have the, everybody has the opportunity to inspire others with their way of being in the world. And the way you can do that is to be the most authentic version of yourself. And that's different for all of us. And that's the beauty of it. So, you know, that is the invitation really is that, and I think that's why it resonates for people. It's like, we all, that's what we all want. We all want to be the fullest expression of ourselves. And that looks absolutely different for every single human. And that's the beauty of it. So another one of your inspirations that I think many people relate to is this one about if they burn you out, cut them out. Now, I wanted to explore that one a bit more because I like for some people who, if they can't necessarily totally cut that energy out, maybe it's because they live with the person or maybe it's a work work colleague that you know, they need to deal with on a daily basis. What would your advice be for people in those situations? 
Yeah, well, certainly there are people that we don't necessarily want to engage with that we have to, you know, whether they're family members or, or, or work, work co-workers or, you know, whoever. There are just people that we are going to have to interact with um, who aren't, you know, our favorites. So I think certainly there is some free choice in it. I think most of us have relationships in our lives where we are in those relationships out of obligation rather than any kind of sense of fulfillment or connection or belonging being there. So I think that it's helpful to go, you know, is this, is this relationship actually optional? And then you can apply that if they, if they burn you out, cut them out because that is, there is a lot of agency in, in relationships. And a, a lot of us just stay in relationships out of default. So I think, A, you need to look at your own sense of agency and go, is this person bringing me down? And you don't even have to know why. Like, I'm going to give you an example. So I don't know if anybody else is into human design, but I'm really interested in it because it just like really hit, it just hit me right in the feels when I read about I'm a generator. And so for me, there are some people I encounter where I just, I don't know what it is, but I like, they, like we get along on paper. Like I love people in general, but there are some people where I just like, they, they just like zap me of energy. And I can't, I couldn't tell you why there's nothing. They're, they're lovely people. We, you know, we have lots in common on paper say, but for whatever reason, I just don't energetically connect with them. And so they, they totally zap me and I choose not to invest extra time in those relationships. And it's not a judgment of them or of, or anything like that. It's just like that relationship clearly doesn't lift me up. And it takes energy where I, when I'm with people who I feel really aligned with, it actually gives me energy. So I think this part of it can be a people pleasing thing. And for me, that was a big part of it is going, Ooh, when I actually don't need to be liked by everyone and I don't need to be everybody's best friend and everybody's savior, it frees me up and it frees up my energy to really show up fully for the people who make me feel more alive. So I'd say that's one piece of it. The other piece of it is that like, we're all going to have to deal with what my dad used to call knuckleheads. You know, there's <laughs> like, there's going to be those people at work, at work. And even in our families where we're like, they just drive us batty. Yeah. And there's another piece in the book, which is, you know, a reframe of just understanding that like all, all acts and all behaviors are just sort of disguised calls for love. So that everybody and all of their behaviors is always just looking for love. They're looking for validation. They're looking for belonging. And when we can see that that is the root of everyone's behavior, it, for me, it's very helpful because it helps me reconnect with compassion. It helps me feel a deeper sense of empathy for other people who I might not, you know, totally agree with or feel aligned with. And I think it helps reconnect you with the goodness that really, I believe, you know, everybody has some, some goodness in them. So I think ref some of those little reframes of like, you know, what are, what are the relationships that I can sort of scale back in my life and, and how can I honor my energy and my boundaries by limiting interaction with those people. And then in those situations where you have no choice, your agency is how you choose to see them and how you choose to either connect with their goodness and their compassion and, and change the lens that you're seeing them through 
because that lightens your load ultimately. And also, again, it's that idea of like, if I can show up with more compassion for someone who's driving me bonkers, maybe that will inspire them in some way. You know, that ripple effect. Yeah. And it's really interesting that so I found in my own life, when I shift my perspective on someone, even without, like, without telling them or anything, it just totally changes our relationship. It's like magic. It, it actually is. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up because it really is. It's, I think, testament to the power of creating an inner shift within yourself because when you, you can't control people, right? You can't change people. They have to create change within themselves, but you can change the way that you are experiencing them. And whether that is, you know, it's the same true of challenging circumstances. It's like you can't change the, the challenges. Like sometimes they just show up, but you, the only thing you have control over in those situations is how you are experiencing them. And that's something that we can practice in meditation as well is sort of like that witness consciousness, right? So it helps us take a step back from situations or people and see things from a broader perspective. And I think that it feels so subtle when you shift the way you feel about someone, but you're exactly right, Lisa. Like, it's crazy how, how much it can change a relationship when it's only happening within you. It's, it's ma it is magic. Have you ever done Byron Katie's The Work? No. Oh, you have to check it out because it's, okay. it's this thing. It's like, it's a, it's a workbook and you can, you can download it for free from her website. And it's a workbook where you basically ask these questions of yourself about a situation relationship that you're struggling with. And I swear I did it once um, where I was having a really challenging time with a family member. And I did this workbook and then arrived in this place where I was like, oh, Actually, I don't need any, I don't need an apology from, from them. I don't need, I don't need anything from them. I feel like at peace with this situation. And then the next day, the very next day, they called me and apologized. And it was like, by that time, I didn't need it anymore. I'd already done the work within myself to go, I'm actually good. I'm cool with this. And it is really liberating to go, I have agency over my experience and I don't, I can change the way I feel about a relationship without having to, to have the other person change or show up in a different way. Yeah. Speaking of, what other tools do you recommend that may help our listeners on whatever journey they happen to be on in this lifetime? Yeah. Well, I mentioned the morning pages from the book, The Artist's Way. I think that's a beautiful, beautiful practice. And especially for you know, creatives who are looking to sort of invite more inspiration into their life. I think that toolkit that is within that book is amazing. Um, as you know, I'm a huge fan of meditation. So I think a regular practice is just about, you know, the best thing that most of us can give ourselves in terms of a tool that has the possibility of really transforming our lives and ourselves. I'm really a fan of yoga nidra, which I mentioned really briefly, but it's, you know, a guided rest practice and that's a very reductive explanation of it. But I think for me, it was discovering yoga nidra and weaving it into my life was revolutionary because I really resisted rest. I think like most of us who have a history of perfectionism, do and having a practical tool where I could lay down and and rest as a practice rather than just like a nap yeah uh it was one of those things where it really transformed it for me 
Well, that's a big thing to talk about because I feel like a lot of people are talking about burnout at the moment. And we have all this talk about the great resignation, people just really rethinking their priorities. And I feel like there are a lot of questions that you ask in your book that help people either identify that this might be going on for them or, you know, help, help them feel like it's okay to stop and rest, give them permission even. Yeah, I think we all need a permission slip to rest because we've been conditioned not to rest. And I think that's something that's so important to understand is that if you have a resistance to rest, it's not your fault. It's, a, it's not a personal failing, it's a collective cultural failing because you have been trained to trade time for money and to derive a sense of self-worth from achievements and productivity and people-pleasing. So if I then say, do you want to have a nap and do, quote, nothing, or do you want to sit down and meditate and, quote, do nothing, like, of course you're going to resist that. And of course you're going to have, you know, a total, a total uh, fear of it, which is what happened to me in the beginning when I tried to meditate. I was like, oh, no, if I sit down and do nothing, like my whole life is going to fall apart. Yeah. So I, th- I think it's like starting from that place of like, it's not your fault that it's hard for you to be still or quiet is important. Second of all, I think it's important to notice that nothing in the natural world is constant and that the entire natural world is ebbing and flowing at all times and that we as human beings are no different. So when we can embrace rest as part of our natural rhythm, our cyclical tidal rhythm as alive beings, we give ourselves not only the permission to rest fully, but to bloom fully. So if you are burned out and then you're trying to like, you're you're coming from this place of like, but I can't stop because I'm afraid that I'm not going to be able to like share my gifts with the world or achieve this or, or, you know, reach success. The truth is that if you're not resting, you're not giving yourself the best chance at full expansion. The fullest expansion is always preceded by the smallest contraction. And that's a hard idea to grasp if you're a perfectionist and you're so used to just like hustle, 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 results, results, results. Like then going that way, it's, it feels like a massive leap. It is, and it's a leap back to trust, right? It's, a, it's, a, it's an invitation to trust, and it's a, an invitation to not just trust in ourselves, but to trust in life. And that's what hope does, is it, right? Like, we're going full circle to where we, where we began this conversation, which is that, you know, hope has, it plays that dual role where it inspires us, but it's also inviting us to trust. You know, in the book, I share that the one of the origins of the word hope um, is hopa, and it that that word means confidence in the future. So, if you can live your life from a place of trust, you will no longer resist things like stillness and resting. And you will see people pleasing and achieve overachievement and perfectionism as really like futile efforts to control something that is outside of your control. And living with more trust is so liberating and it frees up so much of your energy. Like that's really the irony of it, I, I think. And I, I don't know if you if you feel this way too, Lisa, but like when you stop 
trying to be perfect and you give yourself permission to ebb and flow and you trust in those the timing and tides of your life, what you're able to actually birth into the world is so much more potent and powerful and profound than if you refuse to let yourself have those moments of rest and retreat. Have you experienced that? I have, I have, but it just also just felt, you know, lighter as a whole, didn't not with that heavy energy. And it just makes creating things so much easier, like say work-wise. Um, specifically. Yeah. And I find that so many coincidences end up happening. Like the right person ends up pitching me an idea or someone who I had my eye on to do an interview, just there's an email from them in my inbox. I'm like, oh, how lovely. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, again, it's that sense of like trust and divine timing and whatever that means to you. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know what the, what the secrets of the universe are. But I do believe there's something bigger than us. And even if it's just that we as a collective are what's bigger than our individual selves, you know, I, I think that opening ourselves up to the symbols and the serendipity and the signs and the meaningful messages that come our way when we pay attention is such a beautiful, it's evidence of that. It's evidence of that trust in ourselves and in life that is, I think, a, a symbol and a signal that like you're doing it right. Like you're, you're, you're in flow with life. And that's an amazing, it's, it's, a, it's a feeling that even if you just touch it for a moment will inspire you to change your whole life, to live more in more alignment with that, I think. So I have one more question before I let you go. Yeah. How do you help people identify the difference between trust and then just blind optimism? Well, that's a really great question, as usual. So I think blind optimism, I, you know, I, I think that this is something that comes up a lot sort of in the wellness world as toxic positivity. Mm, yes. And, you know, I don't know if that's exactly what you mean, but I think that there is this approach of toxic positivity, which is like, hmm, kind of covering over, right? And it, like you said, this blind optimism of just going, uh, you know, oh, everything is fine. And that's, that's not helpful. That's not what we want to do. And you'll notice, you know, when I write, I'm like, I tell the truth, right? I tell the truth about things and it's not always pretty. And much of what I've learned about life is through loss and heartbreak and challenge. So I think it's super important to honor the truth and not, not sort of paint over things with positivity. However, I think that choosing your perspective and choosing optimism is just a much more empowering way to live. So what I think it can be helpful is to tune into your own inner guidance more. And when you build a sense of self-trust, and that means honoring what you hear, right? So it doesn't mean that everything you hear is going to be like rainbows and sunshine, but it's that, that willingness to get still and quiet and hear the voice of, of your highest self, you know, your intuition, your guidance, your gut feelings. The more you are in relationship with that voice and the more you're in conversation with that voice, and it's mostly listening, um, then you start to build a sense of self-trust. And then when you build a sense of self-trust, you build a sense of trust in life. And here's what I think it actually comes down to. 
I trust that nothing is in my control and that I'm going to be fine, whatever happens, because I'm resilient, I'm courageous, and I am willing to give this life everything I've got. So to me, that is what trust is about. It's like, I don't know what's gonna happen. Like, is everything gonna work out? Maybe not. Like, are people gonna die that I love? Am I gonna, am I gonna you know, have things that flop in my life? And, or, you know, like, of course, those things are gonna happen, but how am I gonna meet those things? I, I wanna keep showing up. And so for me, I guess it's not, it's not a sort of superficial positivity or a toxic positivity. It's like, it's just a meeting, a meeting life with that sense of resilience and, and, and trust and, and courage over and over and over again as a practice. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. It really does. Thank you so much, Caitlin. It has been a pleasure as always to chat with you. Likewise. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a gift to spend time with you and I'm sending big love to the whole uninterrupted audience and thank you. Thank you for spending this time with us. This episode of Uninterrupted was hosted and produced by me, Lisa Gebilagan, with additional sound editing by Abby Williams. For more from us, pick up a copy of our latest issue with Anna Heinrich on the cover. Find it on newsstands or online via Apple News Plus. Visit us at womenshealth.com.au and follow us on Instagram at womenshealthaus. See you next time.